But let's dive in today to our uh, third installment. If you're new to Catalyst, we've been in this series on the life of Jesus called Divine Shift. And we've been um, looking at how so often through his life and his teaching, he really introduced a shift in a mindset, a shift in a perspective, uh, a shift in a posture to how uh, Christ approached life. You know, the first week we talked about how uh, it was the woman caught in adultery and how the, 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 the religious response was to condemn her, but Christ came to forgive and free her, as well as forgive and free the religious people. Come on. Uh, and then last week we discussed, uh, and I hope, I know I heard some great reports from people, just that perspective of this fact that, that you are a minister, that you were actually called to ministry, and whatever God's called you to in your family life, in your work life, you are called to be a minister in Jesus' name and for God's glory. And today I want to discuss a, uh, a, a, a divine shift, and uh, it, it's really this shift of, um, and we're going to look at, let me give the passage first, uh, the widow's might, if you're familiar with this passage. And, and here's what the shift was. Um, in that culture of the day, the religious culture of the day, um, those, uh, they would be exalted, they would be commended, they would be, uh, uh, and they would do this for this. They would give uh, for commendation. They would give for notoriety. They would give for admiration. And they gave out of their abundance. They gave God their leftovers. And then the widow's might demonstrates uh, God does not just want the leftovers of our life. He wants all of our life. Uh, he, he wants our entire life. And we're going to see through the widow's might, wow, that's actually good for you and for me. Now, some of you are beginning to get, get uncomfortable because today, I'm going to say it, it's the M word. Some of you, don't leave, don't turn it off. We're going to talk about money today. Okay, just take, take a deep breath. All right. We're not taking up a special offering today. Um, listen, here's why I am compelled by the word of God to teach on money and possession generosity. Here's why. There are, fi- oh, there, are, there are less than 500 verses in the scriptures on prayer. There are less than 500 scriptures in the Bible on faith. There are over 2,300 scriptures on money and possessions. God cares about your money. God cares about how you handle your money. And here's my hope today is to free some of you up. Uh, from maybe, maybe in the past you've, you've seen some improper teaching and, or maybe in the past you felt like you came to church and they were just wanting your money. That's not our intent at all. Um, it's to preach the Bible uh, and to teach you the ways of Christ. And this is a big one to him. In fact, Jesus spoke more about money than he did heaven or hell. Um, how many would say money is important to God? <laughs> money is very important to God. So we're going to talk about what does the scripture have to say about our money. Now, I've entitled today's message, The Generous Life. And now, if you're new to Catalyst, let me also say this. We typically um, have about two different times of the year we actually talk about money. We're not those, that church that every you come back next week, we're like, money part two, right? <laughs> Martin part three, and they're like, why is this money series going into November, right? You know? <laughs> We preach the entire counsel of Scripture, but uh, if we're going to be faithful to the Word of God, we have to talk about this. Um, we're not going to respond to maybe what's been done. We're going to respond to God's Word. Amen? And I would encourage that with your own life. Don't respond out of emotion to what you've experienced. Respond to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. 
uh, because he is faithful. Um, But before we dive into the scripture, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, We pray that as we open it up, you would speak to us today. Uh, Lord, we honor you. We love you. We posture our hearts to receive a word from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're in Mark 12, verse 38. We're going to get seven different scriptures here. And um, it says this, that as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. Uh, They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Mind you, he wasn't saying this to be descriptive. Um, He was saying this in a way to correct them, saying, listen, you're you're actually uh, mishandling and misrepresenting um, the word because you are doing this for admiration. You're doing this to be noticed. You're doing this to, to, to be commended. He says, they devour, this is very strong language, they devour widows' houses, and for a show, they make lengthy prayers. Um, What was common in that culture, to give context, widows uh, were the most vulnerable population in a community at that time, in a Jewish community. Here's why. Because culturally speaking, at that time, a a woman's uh, social and economic capital was wrapped up in her husband. So when her husband died, that capital was gone. Again, that's just what this culture was like. So widows were often taken advantage of because people who had ill intentions would see widows and say, I can can take advantage of them because they don't have the resource and the capital to be able to navigate this. So Jesus is accusing the teachers of the law to actually taking advantage of, of widows which, again, in that culture, it was very common. You wouldn't necessarily call that out because it was so common. And then it says this. He says, these men will be punished most severely. Can you just put yourself in that situation? Like you're a teacher of the law. You're walking around your flowing globe. And Jesus is speaking about you out loud. And he's saying, these men will be punished most severely. Uh, you talking about me, Jesus, right? <laughs> it's him. Him, right? Him, not me. He then sat down the opposite place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Uh, Many people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in two very small copper coins and only a few cents. To give context, in the temple, there would be 13 brass receptacles in front of the temple. So if we were in, uh, at that time, the temple, there would be 13 brass receptacles right here up front. Um, They didn't pay with cash or credit card. They didn't have online giving. So what they had were, were coins. So just to give you context, they would come up and drop their offerings into the brass receptacles. They would drop their copper coins. They would drop their coins made of metal. So when it dropped in the brass receptacle, you heard the clang, 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 clang. So if you were giving a larger gift, everyone would know. So when they drop it in, so Jesus is watching this. And then he says the widow who gave these two copper coins, uh, what's called the two mites. This was actually in the temple at that time. This was the lowest acceptable offering you could give. You couldn't give an offering any less than this. Um, and it was actually the equivalent of modern uh, U.S. economy. It's the equivalent of one cent, one penny. This woman gave one penny. And then he says this. He calls the disciples now to him. Truly I tell you this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth. Here's the shift. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. That word live in the Greek is the root word for biology, the, American, the English word biology. And, uh, that, and at this moment he's saying this, that she gave basically everything that her life was sustained on. Here's a woman that you think she should receive charity, Right? 
But she gives charity. Shift. Because Jesus says, I commend you for your faith. Those who give out of their abundance are giving their leftover. You gave in faith. And he elevates this widow. Again, that would have not have been done typically in that culture to elevate a widow of any regards for any reason. Let me share with you from this passage, and we're going to look at some other scriptures, um, just three truths that I think we need to grab hold of when it comes to our approach to our money uh, because God cares about it. Here's the first one, is that contentment needs to be our posture. This woman could not have given everything she had to live on if she wasn't content. If she wasn't content in Christ, she would not have been able to trust God with her money. You know, in, in Matthew, uh, Jesus, verse, chapter 6, uh, verse 21, Jesus says this, that where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. No one can serve two masters, he goes on to say, verse 24. Either you will hate the one and love the other, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God says, or Christ says this in this moment, he says, he says, where your treasure is, that there's a connection between your money and your heart. It's, it's intimately connected. That scripture in and of itself tells you why God cares so much about your money. God doesn't need your money. The Bible says in Psalm 24, the earth is his and the fullness thereof. Like, how many know God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And your money is connected to your heart. Come on. You know this. That's why whenever you get a large, unexpected bill, come on, you feel like somebody took a part of you. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Right? You know what I'm talking about. Like that car bill comes in and you're like, They just violated me, right? Because they took your heart. They took your heart. There's a a big connection. These are the words of Christ, and these are are things we all feel. And then he goes on to say this. He says, you cannot serve two masters. Now, this is a general principle for everything. You can't have two different masters. You can't have two lords. But he specifically calls out money. And here's, and again, Jesus spoke more about money than, than almost any other idol. Because he knew that money is a common master, in our culture. Come on, we got a credit card called MasterCard. Right? Like our culture, they even plan about it. Like, we your master, right? <laughs> this is your master. He says you can't have, you can't have two, two masters. I heard a, a pastor, Jabin Chavez, said this recently, and it's really, it really, I think, sums up what Christ was saying here. He says, money is either an idol in your heart or it's a tool in your hand. It's either a God in your heart or it's a tool you use to serve the Lord. And uh, I was thinking about this whole idea of Jesus calling for this loyalty. In fact, a little bit later, Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. He's calling for complete devotion, loyal devotion in this moment. And uh, I was reminded a few years ago, um, I had gone, actually it's now been probably about eight or nine years, I went to a, uh, now the Washington Commanders game, uh, and they played the Philadelphia Eagles. And if you've ever been to a Washington game against the Eagles, like, they don't play. Like, literally, I walk up to the stadium, grown men are fist fighting at, like, 5.30 p.m. for a Monday night game. I'm like, what is wrong with you? You're, like, 37 years old. You got three kids at home, and you punching a man in the face right now. And, like, it was, like, all over the place. Like, it was, like, tense. Now, I do believe a little bit of drink was involved. Um, <laughs> so they weren't thinking completely rational. So I get, we get to our seat. Someone gave us the ticket. So, like, um, you know, if you've been around here, you know, I, I root for the Lord's team, the Baltimore Ravens. Um, 
and uh, pray for them this year. Uh, the Lord, Jesus right now is interceding on the throne for Lamar Jackson. Um, that's not true at all. I just don't believe that. But so I, I had no dog in the fight. I was like, okay, whatever. I, I go to my seat. And, and uh, this guy next to me, who I also believe had been having several drinks and not, not Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> and he, I get to my seat and he says, he looks at me and I'm wearing a button down shirt. I just came from work. And he's like, who are you rooting for? I was like, um, I was like, uh, I don't know, you know. And because I didn't have any, like everybody else in the, in the stadium had a jersey on, had like a team, their team on. And like, he's like, who are you rooting for? Like, you don't have a jersey on. I'm like, I didn't know I had to wear one, sir. You know, like, and I was like, Washington? You know, like, he was wearing a Washington one. I didn't want to get in a fight tonight. I was like, I, I got kids at home. I can't be going home like this. So, um, but now that's not the posture of Jesus. But <laughs> I say that to say in the same ways, this game, like, around like everyone's like you got to be loyal to one team christ is saying you need to decide in your heart who are you going to be loyal to you going to be loyal to money or are you going to be loyal to me because you can't be loyal to both now we're gonna get to this money is not bad we're gonna get to that don't, so please don't hear this isn't a money's evil at all um it, it's listen god has no problem with us having money us having nice possessions us having things he has a very 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 big problem with money having and money having me. That's his problem. He's got no problem with money. He's got a problem when it has you. Randy Alcorn wrote a great book called The Treasure Principle. He says there's a powerful relationship between our spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. Uh, so what's our response? It's to be content. First Timothy 6. Paul says to young Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That word godliness is to be devoted to Christ. That word contentment is to find sufficiency with Christ. So Paul says to devote your life to Christ and find sufficiency in Christ is great gain because every other thing in this world, it's going to come and it's going to go. But when you find contentment in Christ, it's something that lasts far beyond this world. Here's why contentment is so important for us as followers of Jesus and for everybody to have contentment in him. Because how many of you know discontentment will cause you to make destructive decisions? Have you ever made a bad decision discontented? Like whether it was you're discontent with that, something at work, something in your life. You make bad decisions when you are discontented. And we have to acknowledge this. We are conditioned in our culture to be discontent. I remember three months after the house we live in, we bought our house. Three months after we bought the house, literally, I was getting flyers from local real estate agents telling me, hey, why don't you sell your house and get a new house? Have you ever had this experience? I'm like, bro, I just bought my house. Like, like come on, moving is not of God. I'm not doing this for a long time. <laughs> like... Or, or come on, you buy a vehicle from a dealership, and even still, it's been like years since like, we bought our vehicle. Uh, our vehicles are older, but every like year, I get a, I get a thing from my, a flyer from my dealership. Hey, like you have the 2012 version. You can get the 2022 version today. Here's your trading value. I'm like, nope, my Honda Pilot still drives just fine, okay? But there's this kind of culture, right? You search for a shoe online once. Next thing you know, you got seven Facebook ads. Right? Come on. Your favorite retailer, they send you an email every Friday being like, massive sale this weekend. You know, you need new clothes. You know, 
Why? We are conditioned to be discontent. So if you ever find yourself discontent, don't feel beat up at all because we're, it's always we're being thrust into this, but we make destructive decisions. Right? Being discontent can cause us to overextend ourselves and buy a home we actually can't afford. Be, being discontent can cause ourselves to purchase things and go into our credit card debt and now feel that weight of that monthly payment. We, we can put ourselves in debt to purchase a vehicle that we really don't need. We can end up being in such debt or such financial uh, problems that we can find ourselves having to take a second job or third job just to make the payments. Discontent can be destructive. Listen, the answer to our discontentment is not more of something. It's more of someone, and that someone is Jesus. So what do we do when we're that discontent, when we feel that void in our heart? Man, pursue God, saying, God, I feel discontented. Help me to feel content. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he came to Christ, was a very wealthy man. Very wealthy, very successful. And he says, I've been, he basically says, I've been wealthy, I've been poor, and I know what it's like to be content in every circumstance. Do you want to know one of the most powerful postures you can have in this world is contentment? to be good with what you have. And God's trying to save us from making destructive decisions. So first is con- contentment is our posture. Here's our second point, second truth, is stewardship is our response. He, he, he noted the value. He says, you know, we have rich people throwing in large amounts. This poor widow threw in two very small copper coins. He's very aware of the amounts of what people are throwing in. It reminds me in Luke 16, 10, the words of Christ says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who can trust you with true riches? He brings a connection here between how you handle your money today and the eternal reward you'll receive in heaven one day. He says, if you can't handle worldly wealth, then, you, then you're, you're not ready to handle, handle eternal reward. You're not ready to hear spiritual riches. And here on earth, that's, that's being able to steward the grace of God, the peace, the righteousness, the joy of the Holy Spirit. He's saying there's a connection here. And listen, let me say this too. I know I'm speaking in this room that many of you, you live out these. For some of you, all of this is review. You are living this out. You are embracing it. And I want to commend you. And for some of you, it's going to be newer, newer content and as you read this. But so many of you are living this out so beautifully. But he's saying, manage your money well so you can be entrusted with true riches. You know, I thought about as a parent, you know, <laughs> I often, um, my kids, about, well, I'll give an example. About three years ago, my kids, uh, two years ago, and it's still present, they, they were like asking me for a dog. And I, I, I remind my two older kids very often, we didn't get you a dog because we gave you a baby sister. Come on, somebody. She's better. We know she tears up your room, but I trust you, one day it's going to be better. But before they, they got a dog, I said, I said, I want to see if you can take care of a plant. So, so they, they planted something in our neighbor's garden. And let's just say this. We don't have a dog today, okay? <laughs> the plant didn't make it. So the plant didn't make it. That means if the dog's going to make it, guess who's going to take care of him? Dad. Mom. And dad and mom are at capacity with you three right now. Come on, somebody. But, but as a parent, in order for me to trust you with more, I need to see how you can handle a little. Right? That's what God's saying. Can you handle how you manage your, 
your, your worldly wealth so I can trust you with true riches. Rick Warren says this, at the end of your life on earth, you will be evaluated and rewarded according to how well you handle what God entrusted to you. That's the judgment seat of Christ. There'll be rewards given to you based upon how you handled what God entrusted to you on this earth. Now, stewardship, that's the principle that I'm just referring to, it, it, it extends far beyond your finances. I'm going to give you simply pr- three practices of biblical stewardship from the scriptures real briefly. The first one is this. Uh, a biblical steward, you got to guard against the love of money. Ecclesiastes 5, 19 says this, uh, Solomon writes, when God gives someone's wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, this is a gift from God. Again, money is not evil. Money is not bad. The Bible says money is a gift from God. Now, if you think of it that way, if money is a gift, our posture is to honor the intent of the gift giver. Why did he give me this money? Why did he entrust me with this wealth? And we're all entrusted with variant degrees of money and of wealth. First Timothy 6, 9, though, Paul says this. Those who want to get rich and fall into temptation in a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says the desire to get rich, this desire for the more, uh, the Greek word that we see in the English is the word greed, which means the pursuit of more. He says the pursuit of more is a trap. That word trap in the Greek refers to a bird snare, like a bird flying all of a sudden and a trap comes and traps them. He says it's a trap to this desire to get. And then that word foolish means thoughtless and harmful literally means like rotten or infected. That literally the pursuit of more or the pursuit to get rich, like that being your primary pursuit of life actually infects your soul, Paul says. Foolish and harmful desires that plunge you into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money, but the love of money. Some people eager for money wander from the faith and pierce themselves in many griefs. I want to go to this one statement he says. He says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Let me just share this thought with you. Perhaps some problems in your life, the root of it may be a money problem in your life. Do you know the number one uh, cause of disagreement in marriage is money? The number one cause is money. Do you know what fuels illegal activity? The love of money. Do you know what fuels illegal drug trafficking? The love of money. The love of money, the Bible says, is the root of all kinds of evil. I think if we can all deal with any money issues in our life, perhaps we can resolve the other issues of our life. Not my words, the word of God. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says you pierce yourselves with many griefs. We've all seen this, haven't we? We've seen money problems put tension on marriages. We've seen the love of money meant sink businesses because of unethical decisions. We've seen the love of money create a myriad of problems. People occurred debt they didn't need to occur. Why? Because of the love of money. I think just for your own processing this week, maybe even ask yourself, do, do, do some personal assessment. And please feel it. There's no condemnation. You've been conditioned in this culture to desire more. We all have. But ask yourself, do I find my mind being consumed with the more? with earning more and getting more? Do do I, at times, live beyond my means and incur consumer debt? Do I find it difficult to be generous? Am I living a generous life? 
those can be signs perhaps at the root, deep on the inside of us, can be a love of money. I love Billy Graham. He says, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every area of his life. Here's a second uh, practice of a biblical steward is have a plan for your money. Have a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. To have a plan. You've heard this say. It's cliche, but it's true. A failure to plan is a plan to fail, right? It applies very much so to your money. And the Bible speaks about this a lot, the importance of, of planning. To have a, have a plan to tell your money where to go instead of your money telling you where to go or what you can do. Have a plan. Uh, Mint, the money app, found 65% of Americans report they do not know where their money goes. Come on, true story. I've been there. Have you ever had at the end of the month more month than money? Come on. (laughs) You're like, who spent this money? Right? You get to like your bank statement. Like, what happened? You tell your your spouse, I think someone someone got our card. And you know it was you. You just don't want to admit it, right? (laughs) Who went shopping? It was me. Um... What does a plan for money look like? Uh, this is just some practicals. It's have a budget. Have a budget. And many of you, again, you, you, you have this. You have, this is basics. But if you don't, have one. Uh, John G. Rockefeller, uh, somebody once asked him years, kind of early in his career, you know, how did he become so successful with money? And he actually was, I don't know if he was on that coined this kind of principle, but um, he made it popular. He calls it the 10-10-80 principle for budgeting. He says, from day one, even when I made one fifty a week, $1.50 a week. So before I made all the money I made, he says, I lived off of this. I gave 10% of my income away. I saved 10% of my income. And I lived off of 80. 10, 10, 80. As a father of Christ, and we're going to talk, we believe that the first 10% is biblically a tithe, been practiced by the church from Old Testament, New Testament, early church in Rome, that it goes back to God's house. Give 10, save 10, live 80. Some of you, you can save more, you can give more. But that's a basic principle. Here's the second part of having a plan is have some principles you live by. Um, you might laugh at this, but true story. Uh, years ago, Christina and I noticed a, a correlation. When we went to the grocery store hungry, we spent more money. <laughs> Anybody else ever experienced that? Like you go to the grocery store hungry and you're like, how did I just spend $400? And then you realize you got things you don't need, right? <laughs> um, it's a principle we had. When we first got married, we had a principle of like, we said it like our first year of marriage of like, that the other person cannot spend over $50 without asking each other. And it was just, it was the principle to keep us accountable. Like, hey, we, want, we don't want to overspend, constantly overspend. Just have some principles in your life that, that helps you to stay on your plan. And then accountability. You need some accountability. If you're married, your spouse is a great person to hold you accountable. Maybe sometimes that can be touchy. Have a third party. <laughs> Have someone in your life who holds you accountable to that. And then here's the last principle uh, of a biblical story we see in Scripture is avoid debt when possible and save money. Debt sometimes is inevitable. If you have an accident or an emergency, things come up. So please don't feel any condemnation. These are just principles from Scripture. Proverbs 22.7 says, The borrower is a slave to the lender. And if you've, I, I have personally had debt. When, when I was in my early 20s, I had over $60,000 of debt. I felt like a slave to my lenders. Because you know why? At the, by the fifth of every month, I had to pay three different people 
for something I already had. And you felt that if you've had debt before. Like you feel it. It kind of looms all over you. Like I have this debt I have to pay off. I had student loan debt. I had a, credit, a car payment. And I had credit card debt. Uh, we have a, a class called Financial Peace University. And I highly recommend it. It's a great class on finances. Unless you already feel comfortable with finances. You already feel like you got a plan. and you're every, But it's a great course. One of the things they recommend, and we did this, we cut up our credit cards. We already had a credit history, so we were like, let's just cut up our credit cards because we don't want to further incur any more, any more debt. CSNBC reported 47% of American households currently carry credit card debt. This was a crazy statistic. This is Shift uh, published last year, this, this study. They found there are 1.06, 1.06 billion credit cards in use in America. There are, there are a little bit over 329 million people in America. There are three times more credit cards in America than people. If you work for the credit card industry, God bless you. We're just trying to lower some credit card debt in Jesus' name. Is that okay? Proverbs 21.20 says this, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Not just pay off, pay off debt, avoid debt if possible, but then save. Like, it's wise to save money. Again, there was a study done that, that uh, it was done by Go Banking Rates two years ago. 69% of Americans say they have less than $1,000 in their savings. Again, please feel no condemnation. My hope is you feel inspired by the word of God to say, hey, if you have debt, to get rid of it as best possible and to save some money in Jesus' name. Here's the final point, and here's why we steward our finances. And this is the last and really fourth principle of the steward. Is because generosity is our lifestyle. He, he commends this woman for giving all that she had at the end of this, this passage with the widow. It reminds me of 1 Timothy 6, 17. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world, which to give context, his definition of rich would include most of us, if not all of us in this room and watching online. He says, he says do, not, do not be proud and do not trust in your money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Have anybody else realized money can be unreliable? The market can be unreliable. Gas prices, come on somebody. Unreliable. This was said many years ago. So true today. He says you should trust in God. Listen, but listen, he richly gives you for your enjoyment. Please hear this. Money's not bad. Money's not evil. God's okay with you enjoying it. He's okay with the house you have. He's okay with you having nice things. Please hear that. But trust in God. He says, tell them, though, to use your money to do good. You should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, you will store up treasure as a good foundation of the future so you may experience true life. He says, use your goods. This is a cliche statement. Many of you may have heard this before, but it's just true. Here's what Paul's saying. You have been blessed by God to be a blessing to the world. That you are blessed to be a blessing. And listen, you can sometimes read this, and maybe you've been a part of this. And, you know, on a side note, if you ever hear anybody teach something and they add a word to the gospel, run. <laughs> so, i.e., the prosperity gospel. Anybody ever heard of that before? It's common in America where you've been, God just wants you to be blessed beyond your means. Listen, God has no problem with you enjoying your money. But you know the ultimate purpose why he entrusts you with money, why he entrusts you with time, why he entrusts you with talent? You have been blessed to be a blessing. 
That's why he gives us wealth. That's why he gives us things. It's so we can bless other people. I love what Henry, Henry Drummond says. The most obvious lesson in Christ's teachings is that there is no happiness in having or getting anything, but only in giving. Paul says, if you do this, you'll experience true life. That word life in the Greek is the word zoe. It's the same word for life that John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come so you could have zoe and zoe to the full. Paul says, here's how you experience the zoe Christ promised you, is you live a life that's generous. You live a life of giving. Science Journal in 2013, they did a study where they gave groups of people $20. And in one group, they had them give um, uh, said, give this money away. The other group, they said, spend it on yourself. At the end of the day, they did a self-report questionnaire to see if they had any sort of change in their happiness. They found that those who spent it on others had an uptick in happiness, and those who spent it on themselves did not. Two years ago, Cleveland Clinic did an exhaustive study, uh, kind of a meta-analysis of research, and they actually found there's evidence that give, the giving that we actually secrete, humans secrete feel-good chemicals, serotonin, dopamine, and oxytocin when you give. The American Journal of Public Health says that giving reduces mortality and lowers stress levels. Do you want to know why dopamine is released in your brain when you give? Because you are created in the image of God, and the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. I once heard someone says, you are most like God when you give. Because the very essence and nature of his love is generous. He is a giving God, and we are most like him when we give. Amy Carmichael, a missionary, says, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. It's the essence and the nature, the love of God. Let me share with you, and we're going to close with this. Three types of biblical giving we see in the scriptures. I'm going to go through them brief and we'll close. The first one is spontaneous giving. 2 Corinthians 9-11, you'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There's going to be times in life, have you ever had this moment where you felt led to give to someone? Leave a large tip. Give an offering. Bless someone with the Uber Eats card. Come on. We all know about the ministry of the Uber Eats card. It's ministry. Those moments, I once had somebody ask me years ago, he had felt led to give a large gift uh, to his local church, and he says, is this from God? And I said, the very essence and nature of our God is generous. And that John 10, 10 scripture, Jesus says the thief, referring to the devil, came to steal, kill, and destroy. So the devil comes to steal, Christ came to give. So if you feel prompted to give, I said, it's for sure not the devil, come on. It's probably not our flesh, come on somebody probably God. So my assumption, if I feel led to give to anybody, then I, I assume it's God. That's spontaneous. Here's the second one, is systematic giving. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, Paul says, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it so when you come, no collections will have to be made. He says you should give, you should give in proportion to your income. In other words, just come up, become a percentage-based giver. You don't just give like when there's, see what's left over at the end of the month. I, I put it in my budget. I, I have a percentage of what I give away. And I would encourage you to do that. Have that be the first line item is to give because you're created to be generous. Have a, this I'm going to give this month. Uh, 
here's a, a percentage or a or an intentional systematic giving the Bible has spoke to over the years. Deuteronomy 14.23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. That word tithing in the Hebrew simply means tenth. Tenth. Now, some, may say, some have said, well, we, we, as a Christian, we required to tithe. You're not. As you're not required to pray, you're not required to read your Bible. Aren't you grateful? You're not required to do anything to earn the love of God. But as you should read your Bible, as you should pray... As the standard, and, and most historically, church historians, theologians, and the scriptures conclude, we believe you should tithe. We do. Now, for some of you, 10% sounds like a lot of money. True story, years ago, that was a lot to me. I, I was a spontaneous giver for a long time. And then someone challenged me with, get, with the tithe because it's the only place in scriptures God says, test me in this. And I tested God in this. I have never not tithed since because, and we'll look at Malachi 3.10, what happens when you trust God? He says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Test me in this and see that I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour so much blessing upon you. There will not be room enough to store it. Again, here's what God's saying. If you honor me in your heart by putting me first, I will bless you. Watch this. To be a blessing. I'll take care of you. So you can be a blessing to others. For some of you in the room, you know, you could tithe. And here's a question to ask yourself, and please don't feel any condemnation. Everyone's on a journey. But ask yourself this. If if I were to, if my income were to drop 10% tomorrow, could I live? For most of us, we could. Now, we might make some changes, but I want to challenge you. And listen, if Catalyst is in your home church, tithe to your home church. This isn't a, like, give to Catalyst message. Please, you hear my heart? This is a follow God's word message. Can I tell you, I believe God's instructions are to bless us, not to take from us. Amen? And as much as teachings on money have been contorted, can I tell you, it's no different when it comes to your finances. God wants to bless you. I would challenge you. If you're not ready for that, just become a percentage giver. Become a regular giver. Budget your giving. Here's the last type of giving. is sacrificial giving. Sacrificial. 2 Corinthians 8, 2, Paul says, we're speaking of the Macedonian church who were living in poverty. He says, in their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Catch this. They urgently pleaded with us in the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. They were in poverty, and they were pleading with Paul, please let us give, Paul. Please. He's like, you're living in poverty. They were, they were actually giving to Jewish Christians as Gentiles. And they were pleading. Why? Because they understood the words of Jesus in Acts 20. It's more blessed to give to receive. You know that word blessed in the Greek is the word makarios, which means happy. That you're actually happier when you give than when you receive. C.S. Lewis says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. I think sacrificial giving, and many of you have been there. Many of you have, you lived this out. You've been there. Sacrificial giving should be prayerful. It's when you feel the Holy Spirit put something on your heart to give. That's why at the end of the year, we do an end of year offering. We always say, ask God how he would have for you to give. It should be prayerful. Oftentimes, here's what I found, sacrificial giving can be painful, right? I'll be honest. 
times God's asked Christina to give large gifts. Like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I could, I could use that money for this and this and this and this, right? Anybody else? You're like, God, are you sure? I got great plans with this money. And lastly, it's purposeful. It's for the purposes of his mission on earth. And there's something beautiful when we actually take the posture of the widow and we give sacrificially. My final scripture, the words of Christ, Matthew 6, 19. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. He's saying in this moment, to give context, what was common is if you had, like, goods, um, people didn't have, again, retirement accounts. They didn't have what we have today. <laughs> they had goods. So they had livestock uh, was, was part of their wealth. They would have goods, like clothing and cloth and different things. Um, and what was common was vermin or insects would destroy their livestock. Um, moths would destroy their cloth. And then theft was a big problem then. So he says, he says do not store up all of this stuff here for now where the moths are going to eat it, the vermin are going to destroy it, and thieves are probably going to break in and steal it eventually. Jesus in this moment, you know how when you go to a financial advisor, you trust that person to tell you, if you invest it into these stocks and bonds, you'll have this return in this many years, right? Christ is your eternal financial advisor here. He said, don't store everything up here. No, there's nothing wrong with, the, with having retirement. Please don't hear that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with saving money. He's just saying, hey, hey, the best return, hey, it's in heaven. It's when you give in Jesus' name and for God's glory and for his mission on the earth. He says, that is where you store up treasures in heaven. So I want to challenge you today, wherever you are, to live a generous life. It starts with contentment then leads into stewardship, and we steward our money well so we can live a generous life. Can you buy your-